Hi, I'm Sam Simon, and I'm the grandpa, and I always think deep. Hi, I'm Emily Simon. I'm the granddaughter, and I'm always wondering, in every conversation we have, why does grandpa always think deep? So good morning, Emily, on a almost mid-July day. What's going on with you? How's your summer going? My summer's going good. I've been interning at IUDA, which has been definitely an interesting experience. IUDA, and that's Spanish for help. Yes, it also is an organization in the D.C. area that provides language access, legal, and social services at lower no cost to low-income immigrants in the D.C. area. So I've been working, helping them on their development team, which basically means fundraising and getting other forms of donation. Yeah. And what have you been doing for that? You've been like standing outside and. No, 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 not like that. No. So we no. get a lot of our um, money from corporations. So I've been researching some corporations that don't have a relationship with yet. Just in order to see like, like corporations, they have like, they call them pillars. You're like the main areas that we want to give to. And then you basically, as a nonprofit, have to make it sound like, okay, like, yeah, we totally do exactly those things that you want to be giving to. So my job is to basically research these corporations, see what they're all about, see what kinds of giving programs they have, what they look like, all that information. And so I'm going to be make, putting it all into a giant PowerPoint. So I'm going to be presenting that giant PowerPoint on Wednesday. So I'm pretty excited about that. Well, that sounds scary to me. It I sounds know. scary. I don't Nothing know. scary about that. It's just like... I did things, now I tell you about the things that I did, and that's it. And you're going to tell them about how terrible corporations are? Oh, we're all aware. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that's a good thing to talk about today for, you know, for Grandpa likes to go deep. It's about the role of corporations in our society. Oh, it's a big one. <laughs> well, you know, I have an interesting connection that I'm going to maybe surprise you with. Okay. You came back... After spending some time in New Zealand. A month, yeah. And you spoke a little bit. We talked to our audience a little bit about, well, your insight. I even mentioned it, I think, the last time I talked, because it was a great insight for me, is how generally happier, satisfied people seemed in New Zealand because their basic needs were met. Healthcare, and, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. And how we in this country have come to rely on corporations. To well, they certainly have big corporations in New Zealand. They, they don't not have them. Right. And they aren't the only source, well, at least as I interpret it, of how to meet essential needs for people. They, uh, well, I mean, in terms of healthcare, yeah, there's no big corporations in healthcare. It's nationalized. But I mean, in terms of food, there's like three grocery stores in New Zealand, like three different companies. And they have locations all over the country. And I didn't see any local grocery stores at all. It was just the big three. Now, that's not to say they don't exist, but it seems like the big three are very common. So in terms of meeting basic needs, I wouldn't say that it's not dominated by corporations. There certainly are corporations, at least in terms of food. Right. Now, I guess that being a little bit more literal than are microscopic than I was thinking, because the power of the corporations in the society seem to be less in, say, New Zealand than I feel they are. So let's go back. To I honestly don't know enough about New Zealand politics to be able to speak to that. Okay. Initially, in America, 
corporations were almost not allowed, that they were things to be feared and they were understood as sources. In what time period are you talking about? Well, from the beginning of the country's existence. You know, there were a few corporate entities, but for a very long time, they were high, highly restricted and were not dominant figures. Corporations that- Are you talking about like pre-industrial revolution? Well, I'm talking about from the beginning of the country to the probably mid 1900s. Uh, I the I understood you with the three questions this retelling because, from my understanding, there were no big corporations until the Industrial Revolution because people didn't produce things at scale, and then corporations emerged when things started to be produced at scale, and they got very big until they got broken up, and some of them didn't get broken up. We broke up horizontal monopolies, but not vertical monopolies, and um, yeah, I don't. Feel like that's true. <laughs> well, they certainly were limited in the things they could do and the their role in government. And there was a very healthy concern about how they, you know, they weren't allowed for a long time to give money to, to politicians. They couldn't take corporations. When was that allowed again? It was allowed because it was corporations were and Citizens United were given the status of people for free. When was that? It was maybe 20, 10, 15 years ago. Okay. What was the name of the case? Citizens United. And there's still campaigns to reverse that and not have corporations viewed as human beings. 2010, yeah. Yeah, well, 13 years ago. I'm pretty good. As bad as my yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah, corporations were, in many ways, viewed as a way to avoid risk, allow people to take risks. Yeah. So? so grandpa has got a theater company. I call it the actual dance LLC. And if anybody wants to come see my new show, Dementia Man, it's in the Capitol Fringe <laughs> this week. But, you know, I worked, I had my own company and I did things and we did well. And we have a house and we have, and I worry about if something happens at one of my shows, make a mistake or somebody trips and falls that it puts everything I have at risk. They can sue me personally, but I'm doing it as a corporation for a business. And so when I incorporate, I limit the liability exposure. They can only sue the corporation. Interesting. So how does that, this is actually, I, I didn't know about this. So how does that make it different from if they were to sue you as a person? Like what make, what's the. It means they can't get it my private. The assets that aren't held in the company. Okay, that so makes sense. I can't get my personal home. Now, if there are ways, to, what's called piercing the corporate veil, it happened and I was acting outside the corporate purpose. Yeah. Then they can try to, somebody can try to pierce that. And interesting. That. Very interesting. But it works very well for small businesses. And your dad, he works in his corporation. If something happens, they think he did some malpractice and the like, then they can't try to come get Emily's bedroom. They have to limit their recovery to, but you know, that's a good reason to have corporations. Well, yeah, I think I'm not opposed to the concept of people incorporating their businesses. That doesn't, I've been people talking about how much they don't like corporations, but that's not what they're talking about necessarily. The the, the yeah, incorporate your business is one thing, but then there's like, the big corporations that everyone doesn't like. Right. You it's know, always the business, but the 
political influence and the influence influence over people's lives and how how the businesses are run you know i you know we keep coming back to healthcare but it's and it's also retirement that retirement? If you, yeah, i'll explain why but how much people's lives are dependent upon a private entity that can arbitrarily and capriciously do something and ruin your lives. You don't have choices. So if you have to get healthcare from your company and you've got it, and you, you know, so many of the issues we've addressed, some of these pre-existing conditions. So suppose you go to work for General Motors and you've been there for a while, but there's a new opportunity. You have to change health plans. The new health plan may treat all your ailments as pre-existing conditions and not cover them. But since you didn't have them at General Motors, right when you started, but you become a prisoner of that job, not because of anything else other than just the way the healthcare is run. The same thing right. about pensions. If you're in a company that provided a pension and you invested in it for a long time, right, you want to stay now, there and long enough to get your pension. Now. You know, there are good things, incentives for people to stay places, for the corporations to do it. And there's been a shift in that to the 401k, so that you actually have to take out of your salary. Rather than having to have it added to your pay, you have to take it out of your pay. There are all sorts of things, and then the power within the community, and things like large corporations extorting communities to give them great benefits in order to put their facilities or to move into cities or to tell the city council, if you don't do it my way, my corporate way, then. Um... Not necessarily. So I was actually doing some interesting research on Amazon and how, well, basically remember Amazon's like big search for a new headquarters. Yeah. So a lot of stuff had to happen for them, for them to eventually settle in Northern Virginia. Like they wouldn't really, I think the agreement was like probably very low taxes, but then they had to do certain things that would benefit the community. So they have like in Arlington, they have like a free center for like people to go and learn how to code and do other computer type skills. That's Amazon Web Services. And they do, like they fund Code Virginia, which is another like summer camp that they do classes and summer camps and stuff is about coding. And they, they do that and they fund it. They do actually a lot of, stuff for the community that they settle in they're like all right you're going to be here but you have to do x y and z for the community but also it's like when you pay taxes that stuff goes towards like paving roads which is something just about everyone needs but a coding class like maybe i'm not interested in coding then that doesn't have any benefit to me so the other side of that okay is in order to do that to persuade amazon to come arlington county instead of anywhere else actually split it with Queens. Virginia. Yeah, yeah. I was just using that as an example because I had to research that region to see if they could do something for us. So I wasn't really looking at the Queens part, but yeah. But so Virginia provided them $573 million in tax breaks mm-hmm. and $23 million in cash and other incentives to persuade them to come. So they may have given back over time some amenities but their power come. Now, the argument is, well, you're going to bring jobs and it's economic development. But it is the power of corporations to influence and extort money, if you will, from communities and breaks. That 
573 million in tax breaks means it's got to be picked up by other people. Right. Yeah, I've definitely thought about that a lot. Yeah. You know, the reasons corporations also, why, you know, why are they mainly created and headquartered, at least on paper, legally in the Delaware? <laughs> they are. Yeah, they didn't why? realize why? Why? there. And I was like, what? Why? Because they have low taxes. And other legal requirements that give them great benefits on how they can run their company and uh, responsibility in things compared to other places. And so it's become a, both a tradition, but an economic reality that it's better to be headquartered there. So the, the, the question is whether that gives too much power, that money focused in very large corporations reduce the voice of the average citizen within communities. Money talks. It does. You seem pretty nonchalant about that. No, 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 no. I'm just thinking about how to respond to that. Our consumer advocacy, a lot of the work that, I, you know, the Nader world that I've been involved in is really all about that. So one of his ideas was, and I worked on this a little bit in communications, that one way to address the power of corporations is to have customer voices equally heard and represented before government. So that you have a balance. That doesn't look a bad idea. <laughs> so how do you do that? So one, right. of the, one of the ways that he's been proposing for a long time, even impacted college campuses, and I'll come back to that in a minute, is that the consumer or the user could designate a part of the payment to the company to be allocated to create an office of consumer protection. So they call that CUBs, Citizens Utility Boards. There were in some states, Illinois had one for a long time, where, you know, millions of dollars, small, you know, a dollar per 100 million customers or even 50 million customers a year gives $50 million a year or would to run a advocacy group to represent the interests of the users in this so corporation. How do you get the corporations to do that? Legislation. Mm, interesting. Very interesting. There was another uh, view, you know, we did argue a lot of my work was to get the audience to have a voice in broadcasting policy, the listener and the viewer. Some of the things that happened while I was working, not that I was the one that made them happen, but, you know, the, the whole, you know, license to broadcast over the air used to be considered the private property of the broadcaster, the corporation. And uh, it was declared to be a public interested license in that the public had a right to challenge it and to intervene in its renewal process and have a voice in that. And then Ralph came up with the idea, and we worked on for a little bit of an audience network, where the audience itself had an official role and even got a piece of their spectrum, sort of like the public in, in cable, there are community channels. Corporations have mostly crushed those movements. Now on the campus, you know, there were student fees you pay. Yes. And they were all went and managed by the college. Mm -hmm. And the idea which became college public interest research groups or PERGs, I don't know if there's a PERG on, where do you go to college again? University of Delaware. Is there a Delaware per? Do you have a uh, Not to my knowledge. I think I'd know about it if there was. Well, 
Well, New Yorksburg is going to turn 50 in October. You remember, I worked at the first. I, I do not think we have that. Okay, go on. Yeah, you were saying. But we've got in many campuses, the Pergs are, are paid for by student fees. That a piece of the student fee, that the students themselves get to direct where it goes rather than call it a student fee, but give it to the college corporation to manage and work as they see fit for the benefit of the consumer. So, so it's not a research group so much as it's like an allocations board? It's an advocacy group. So it, it, it's based on research. They don't have any loyalty to the profits of the college or the profit of a corporation. Their interest is in the public's interest, their students' interest the you know, on campuses, the utility users' interest. Um, Interesting. They're, so are they giving a pot of money to do whatever they want with, or do they have a say in the whole? Well, they'll, have, they'll have a char- they'll have a charter of so of sorts that declare their general interest and purpose. And typically, within those parameters, the pergs get to operate. Some of them have grown so that they generate their own funding, though they operate mainly off the campus or become a voice for the students, even in their community. So uh, there are door-to-door canvases that many of the perks do in their community and raise money that way. There's something now called the Public Interest Network. Is it Public Interest Network or Public Interest Research Network, which is an umbrella group for the state public interest research groups. And they give voice to student, you know, how even colleges, what kind of money they get and which corporations they're, they're beholden to. Because part of some of the things that happen on college campuses is corporations give money and demand that they do certain kinds of research or uh, engage in certain activity that many of the students don't think are ethical. And you know, some of it comes up over Israel. And there's a lot, of, a lot of money that comes from Jewish donors that are conditioned on how the university, what they allow on their campuses. So giving a more democratic group is a, to advocate is a counterpower. It's a Interesting. theory of power that creates different sources or centers of power. You try to, you know, and the theory is that a better policy comes out rather than just, well, and for two reasons. One, a citizen-based or user-based entity has the interest of only those users or interests. It's like a labor union. Labor unions supposedly, big money, lots of money corrupts in lots of places. So we'll put that off for a moment. <laughs> because when unions get too big and have too much money, there's been corruption in unions too. Their interest though is the benefit of the worker. The corporation yes. is the benefit of the shareholder. So having competing interests that work to come to a middle ground so that both the worker and the shareholder benefit is a good thing in a structure of a society. Right, right, right. And so the argument today, and a lot of people believe, as and I do, that corporations have way too much power, that the theory of government now is based on money and successful corporations, and that they somehow, corporations will look out for their customers, and that's how the public interest is made. That's an interesting theory. Yeah. One of the interesting things I've noticed through my research is that these companies are making money and they are giving it away, which is interesting because I feel like you always hear, oh, corporations, they're so greedy. They just care about money, but here they are giving it away. And I'm like, well, that is a new 
perspective. <laughs> well, it's not that new. They giving it away. I mean, for me, it's a new perspective for me on seeing how what corporations operate. What is the corporate interest in that? Why would they do it? You're to the make president. Look good, and people so, think, oh, they're a good corporation. And then, so there is different levels of corporate giving. If a company doesn't really advertise the fact that they are giving something away, that makes it non-taxable. So there is the tax break benefit there. But if a company does give money away and it's deemed that they're using it basically as advertising in some way, shape, or form, that they use it as a promotion for themselves, like saying, hey, look, we're so good, we donated to this, that actually isn't taxable, but it benefits the corporation in a different way. Well, so far as I know, and you may know better than I do, that if General Motors gives the Special Olympics a billion dollars, and it's called the Special Olympics the General Motors Special Olympics, it's still tax deductible to General Motors. Is it? Yeah. Now we can be corrected. If somebody knows better than us, <laughs> please contact us. And as far I was as pretty know, sure that if it's a sponsorship, like if, it, if you're, they're using it as like a sponsorship, like it's advertising, that's not tax deductible. Not if they give it a general grant in term, return for naming opportunities. So they're naming opportunities. So if a Utah wants to have a passport, I don't know what the best, passport program. And the Simon Law Firm gives them $100,000. They could call it the Simon Firm Passport Program, and it would still be deductible. As far as I know. I'm not under that impression, but. Well, let's our naming grants. Here we go. Donor naming rights. Here you go. Recognizing a donor's contributions through naming rights is an excellent way for a nonprofit organization to honor their donor's generosity without causing a loss of tax deductions. Ah, uh, already. So there you I go. <laughs> I think I knew that, but I had uh, had to go back to look at. It. So yeah, okay. you're right. But then, how beholding are they to that donor? It depends on the condition. So there are. Some donors. No, 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 that's too little. I'm going to stop you, Emily. That's too little. Well, no, I'm, I'm answering the question. So sometimes a donor does give an unrestricted donation to, well, so first of all, you're beholden in terms of they have their priorities, their pillars that they want to give to. And so if you don't fall under a corporation's pillar, that they decide that they don't want to donate to your cause, then in a way you are beholden to that corporation and their priorities because you're not receiving funding or are receiving funding because of what they decided they wanted to donate to. Within that, you then are beholden to the corporation because you have to fill out a request for a grant. That means you have to usually involve forming a relationship with the person who is in charge of administering these grants and you're kind of subjected to their whims and whether or not they think you're a nice, cool person. And then you have to submit a grant form and spend all this time to figure out how you can phrase your your nonprofit to make it sound like it matches one of their pillars. And again, you're at the mercy of this person. And also they're not the ones reaching out to find organizations that match their mission. You have to go and find them, which seems- Well, you know- like I, They're making us do the work. I'm not so sure if that's why. Emily, I think if you work inside a corporation, the let's say the CEO of Biogen has got a kid in University of Delaware and likes what he sees, and the CEO calls somebody in the development department, I'd love to be able to have a, a Biogen lab, named lab, one of the labs called the Biogen Lab at University of Delaware. 
Let me see. Can you see what kind of gift it would take in order for that to happen? You don't think that happened? It doesn't happen, but it's much, much more common for it to be the other way around. Much, much more common. Well, the struggle for smaller groups absolutely is to get noticed. I, mm -hmm. I think we're talking about two different things. There are people and personalities who, because of the privilege of the position, get to move large sums of money to charities of their personal bias, benefits, whatever they may be. They may be good or bad, but they are highly subjective to those in, with the individual power. Yes, absolutely. And there is an argument that that is detrimental to a democratic society. How that, so? Because the very wealthy get to sort of decide where charity goes. The big dollar. Yeah. But how does that impact democracy necessarily? They direct public policy. That Even that kind of giving directs how people... I mean, you can make an argument that people, it doesn't matter to people and their voting and their views of things, but why do corporations do it? It gives them extra power. And, you know, I think there, there is an, it, it, so the senators in Delaware who are trying to help that Biogen have now have this great view of Biogen. Biogen gets in their door and they want Biogen to favor their things. And it's an element in the influence. Right, but how does necessarily corporate giving? I just described it. How I, I'm, I'm, I feel like we're missing a few links here, though. Like I don't fully understand well, how biogen so, can the University of Delaware influences Delaware senators. So the point is, it gives the corporation extra, among other things. It's a way they market their agenda. It's a way they are able to walk into senators and persuade them to go with their case. And it's the impact of money. I still feel like I'm missing a few steps here. All right. Well, what what step would you like to see that it's not? They, they walk into the senator's office and they say, "Look, we funded a, a lab at the University of Delaware." No, they come in and say, "We've done it." Now, here's what we want. Right, we funded a lab at the University of Delaware. Right. And here's the law thing we want in the law that would be very helpful to us. Now, their competitor hasn't done it. Okay, I, I sort of see your point. So they do something that is perceived as being for the public good. So then when they go to a lawmaker, they can say, look, we're, we're, we're good. We're a good company. We did a good thing for your constituents. So, so the, will you do this for us? Yeah. So the question is, which one of us, you or me, is being more naive? <laughs> There's an argument that either one of us is, both of us or either one of us. Is, because part of the answer is it happens all the time. Of course, a lot of the public interest communities complain is that their voices aren't heard because they don't walk in with that power of money, that the money speaks louder. And the fact, so one way- That's a valid argument. And there was a balance of that at one time. Individuals could give money and they, the corporations would have a pack. That is, they would encourage their employees to give money to a pack and the pack would give money. So it was sort of a way around it, a you know, political action committee. But right mm -hmm. now, General Motors can simply write a General Motors check for any amount of money it wants and give it to somebody. Now they have to, and they don't always have to disclose it either. You know, you can look at what happened with George Santos, who's has sort of mysterious money. You're supposed to disclose it, but it could be washed through different corporations. And then you don't even know who you're voting for and what kind of policies are. So, so that's sort of the argument about corporate power. And the fact that nonprofits can't get money from government to do the good work, the government doesn't have it. They can. Some of them do. Not, not all, but some. Uh, yeah. So anyway, I think, I don't know if we've done the topic justice. 
but it's good to well, talk. I have another point to make. So these corporations, they make all this money and they give some of it away to nonprofits. And part of me is like, what is the greatest benefit that they could be doing for society would be keeping their prices lower and not giving away this money to nonprofits. And then that would make actually help the people who these nonprofits are helping could be helped so they can afford more things because the prices are lower. Yes, you're right. No, that's part of the absolute discussion and argument. There is one thing that a number of the larger corporations do. And again, it's an interesting way to do it. But they do corporate donations for employee morale. And they give employee groups great say in who they give money to. And it's sort of an incentive for people to work there because they'll have a committee and, you know, groups of the Hispanic or even people with have children with learning disabilities come in and target say, here are some really great charities. And the corporations give part of their corporate giving to things that the employees want to have the giving. And it's like a benefit to the employees. They feel they're working for good corporations and it helps their own work. So United Way also helps corporations do that and give back. It's like giving back to the community by giving. Yeah, I've found several corporations that do that. Uh, and, and you're right. If that money, if the price of goods and services were less, if goods were more profit margins were regulated in some way. Now, the biggest complaint is so much of the corporate money is for large corporate salaries and that the CEOs have gigantic packages and that that prices could be lowered by simply having a cap on on pay and salaries for the well, also I've heard a lot of small businesses actually have a mon- like a price advantage over big corporations because they don't have overhead. They don't have the overhead of big corporations that keep the prices down. Well, it's hard to generalize on that. And corporations have scale that the ability to make if you're in the manufacturing business. Right, right. Manufa- but when it comes to manufacturing, it's not necessarily true because you're manufacturing at scale. But when it comes to providing services, often small businesses that provide services have the advantage because they don't have to pay for overhead. Yeah, but there are, again, there still be matters of scale even in that area. that can help offset that. Yeah. So I don't know if we've mesmerized our audience as we've explored <laughs> things ourselves here, Emily. But mid-July, my takeaway, maybe we'll start with the takeaway and thing. I want to encourage people still, there's another weekend of the Dementia Man, my play, (laughs) and we call it that because you know Grandpa has early stage Alzheimer's. It's in the Capitol Fringe. We've got tomorrow and then next weekend, we've got almost 60 people coming to the performance tomorrow, so I'm excited about it. So... That and reducing corporate power in our society, more power to the people is my last thought for today. What about you? Yeah, I mean, more power to the people. Is there a takeaway? I mean, I guess maybe you you mentioned that having these corporate giving programs makes people feel like they're working for a good company. So you don't think doing any of this stuff actually makes the corporation good. All right, maybe we will add a minute of what makes a good corporation. Safe products, fair prices, employee empowerment, diverse workforce, contribute to the community, safety, environmentally sound, huge responsibilities. And it's a privilege 
not a right to be a corporation. Maybe if that we should have started off with that thought. There isn't a right to be. But now I want to interrogate you about something that I know we're supposed to be concluding. You said give back to the community, but we were also talking about how when corporations like give back to their communities, you didn't seem to think that was such a good thing. Give back, you mean through taxes? Being good citizens. So how there is a corporate citizenship view. You're there, you're engaged in activity, you cause more traffic, you increase housing demand. The presence causes, imposes causes as well as adds benefit. They give jobs, they provide careers. In communities where large businesses grow and okay, because I've often seen in a lot of my research being a good neighbor conceptualized as giving to nonprofit organizations in the community where the corporation is headquartered. That is one way to do it. That is not the only way, but that is certainly one way to do it. And it's balanced. If they do it in order to continue polluting water, mm-hmm. then it's not a good thing. Right. So if there is a best practice of stopping using certain chemicals, but the corporation says, instead, I'll give money to local groups to lobby against that, then it's not. Interesting. Interesting. And controlling just exactly who gets it builds political power in communities. So if they give to the favorite charities of the city council members, so that the next time a controversial thing that benefits them, but there are other sides to it, they win because they give the money to the ball politicians' favorite causes, then that's not too good either, is it? It's really about power and control in a community. And is it elected officials or a corrupt system that ultimately makes the biggest decisions? What was that last sentence again? Corrupt, whether citizen voices and uneconomically interested decision makers Mm -hmm. or corporations and politicians that have been corrupted by their giving make those decisions. It can be hard to get the average person involved in policymaking, though, because it takes time. And the, and corporations know that. Yeah. So citizen groups, nonprofit organizations that do advocacy, that raise, you know, nonprofits, you know, even why, why, why is the UDA need to do so much they want? Because part of the infrastructure and system, including other corporations, get in their way and cause problems. It's a complicated system. The issue is about accountability to a larger public. Government, in theory, should be doing that. And when you give so much power to corporations, particularly the ability to do donations to politicians, and individuals don't have the kind of resource to match that, it becomes a corporate society. Yeah. The work you're doing with Yuda is great work. And they're on this micro level that is every corporation should contribute to nonprofits in their community. Not always for the, their benefit, but to make the community better across right. the different areas. We're probably talking too long for our audience interest. <laughs> so yeah. I, I think maybe we can pick this up. What final words to grandpa? On final Jordan? words? It's complicated. I guess. Oh, come on, Emily. I'm trying to get a happy birthday from you. Happy birthday. (laughs) (laughs) All right. It was great talking to you. All right. Great talking to you. All right. Love you, Grandpa. Bye.